Welcome to the Emotioneering Podcast with me, Melissa Curran, the founder and CEO of the Modern Mind Group. We are emotioneering human performance, not engineering it. In season one, we talked about emotioneering the modern mindset and really about those people skills and the expression and the communication. In season two that we're in now, we're going to have topics centered around everything to do with emotioneering business results. And that's going to cover creating great places to work, increasing profits, human capital, the people, getting record-breaking results, and world-class employee engagement. I'm going to be interviewing guests that I know are absolute experts in this area, and will be able to share their knowledge, share their learnings on the journey with you and myself. And I'm really looking forward to getting in to all things emotioneering with them. Remember to subscribe to YouTube, to the Facebook page, to Instagram, LinkedIn. And of course, you can go to the website, modernmindgroup.co.uk, and you'll get our monthly newsletter there. Enjoy the show. Today, ladies and gentlemen, on the Emotioneering podcast with me, I'm just going to say a few words first. Mercedes, AMG, Patronus, Formula One. You know where I'm going with this. Welcome Nicole Byrne, Head of Internal Communications for them to the podcast today. Thank you very much. Very excited to be here. Ah, it's so exciting. And, you know, just to kind of set the scene for everybody else, we obviously met at the Employee Engagement Summit. I saw you on stage. You were one of the only people that I heard that day talk about intention. So I'm hoping we can bring that into the conversation today around communication, around leadership, employee engagement. But it really just connected with me because that that really does just help um, in terms of driving teams, performance. uh, And yeah, we, we were totally aligned. I was in awe of what you were talking about. And I was like, my listeners and the audience really have to hear this. And of course, to sit front row, have a conversation with you about these things and to learn from you as well, is just absolutely priceless. So, so thank you so much for being here. A couple thank of other you. things I learned about you. You're fluent in Russian. You, I am, yeah. <laughs> you lived there for quite some time too. And you're, you're a PR practitioner too. Yes, yeah, I'm an um, accredited PR practitioner th- uh, uh, through the um, Association of um, uh, child of the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. Fantastic. Well, you're definitely who can help us in this particular area and give us all their knowledge and insights. So please tell us a little bit more about yourself, about you, maybe some of your hobbies, your bit of your background and what you do. Yeah, sure. So um, I am, as you said, head of internal communications for the Mercedes AMG Petronas Formula One team. Uh, which is a high-performance engineering company for anybody that doesn't follow Formula One. Um, But we have a Formula One motor racing team at the heart of the company. Um, And I've been working in motorsport in Formula One for nearly 25 years. Um, And across that time, I've had a number of roles which have taken me uh, both um, working for team principals as the executive assistant to a couple of our team principals, uh, working for technical directors. Um, I have been a press officer and communications executive for the Honda Racing F1 team. And for the last uh, eight, nine years now, I've been the um, internal communications or head of internal comms for the Mercedes team. Um, so so that's sort of my um, 
work background and then I guess uh, I as you said studied Russian at university um, and uh, then moved to Moscow where I worked for the British Embassy for four years um, working with uh, the cultural section out there um, looking after all the uh, traveling exhibitions and theatre groups and things like that that were going backwards and forwards between Russia and, and the UK and then I moved back to the UK and um, uh, relocated up to sunny Brackley as it is today um, back in 1998 to to join um, the Formula One team so yeah that's my life um, in terms of hobbies not much because life takes work takes over it's, it's an incredibly busy job um, but I do like to potter around in the garden a bit. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it t- takes your mind away from things at times. And I, yeah, I mean, F1, you know, it's on almost every weekend the, in the season, you know, then you're doing things in the run up. Um, I also noticed that you ran uh, a family event recently for them. Tell us we a bit about that. Do, yeah, so part of my role, as well as looking after internal communications, I also uh, manage all of our internal employee events. Um, so a couple of times a year, we join forces. Um, so the the Formula One team, which is where I'm based in Brackley, join forces with our sister company, uh, Mercedes-Benz High Performance Powertrains, which is based just up the road in Northampton. And um, the uh, the team members from each of those organisations get together with their families and come along for a summer fun day. Um, and we had that last weekend. We had, I think, just over three three. 1,200 people came along on the day um, and we held it at a local go-karting centre so there were all sorts of various different activities for people to take part in Um, but really the idea behind the event is just an opportunity for everybody within the team to say thank you to the families and the friends that support us and 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 get us through um, what is an incredibly busy life um, everybody here works long hours we're all very very passionate and focused on formula one um, and so we have quite long suffering families and friends who put up with all of that and uh, so a couple of times a year we like to say thank you to them as well that's incredible. 3,000 people. Uh, <laughs> hats off to you for organising that. Um, and also, I saw some recognition for you on LinkedIn about it. And, you know, it obviously means a lot uh, to the people. And I think that can sometimes be underestimated, that sort of feeling, isn't it? Um, how many yeah. people are in the team in total? Yep. So here in Brackley, we have about a thousand employees or team members, as we call them. And then uh, up in Brixworth, there's probably about another eight, nine hundred as well. There's obviously going to be some fundamentals of communication that, that doesn't matter what size your team are. Um, but it does make things a little bit more complex um, and a little bit more, um, you know, detrimental I suppose when you have so much more um, hanging in the balance in in terms of the size of the team which I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit more detail shortly so I mean how did you get into internal communications because like you said you know you've been in F1 for over 20 years you were in communications way before that as well what happened who inspired you or you know what inspired you um I would say I didn't actually set out to work in communications um I but I, I guess I've always been interested in language and the way that words are used to convey meaning. I loved languages at school. It was probably, I think, the only thing that I was any good at. Um, And I went on studied Russian and linguistics at university. And so I've always been really interested in how people interact with each other. 
um, how people use language to, to kind of uh, communicate in that way. And then also within a work environment, um, the psychology of how people interact. So I went on and did a master's degree in organizational psychology um, just to try and better understand the behaviors and then the way that people interact with each other in that organizational setting. But actually getting into communications within motorsport, I guess I first got into motorsport as, as an executive assistant to the team principal and then moved into a communications role um, with the Honda racing team um, and spent some time there doing PR and media relations and, and traveling to tests and races and looking after the driver's media commitments and things like that at the events and at races. And then in 2007, um, a chap called Ross Braun joined Honda and I moved across to be his executive assistant. So I sort of went back into that type of role and, uh, and and then did that up until he left the team at the end of 2013. But I think all the way throughout that time, I've also been looking after internal communications. So it's always kind of been part of my role to, even when I was an executive assistant, to write leadership communications to arrange town halls and briefings and organize events and you know ensure that our senior leadership team were able to have communication opportunities with the rest of the team so I think effectively I was probably doing internal communications before we even called it that and then as I said when when Ross left the team I then actually relabeled my role and, uh, and actually move properly into a sort of dedicated internal communications role. Um, but I guess, yeah, it's just something I've always instinctively probably felt that it was important that, that we communicated well within the organisation. Yeah, love that. And yeah, similarly, I was I was also very intrigued um, by the literature and the meaning behind things. Um, you know, I think my Macbeth book had never had so many notes all over it when I was in school because I was like, wow, but what does she mean by this? And yeah. and really digging into that sub subtext and the 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 messages um, that are really within what what we say and do. And and I love how you're talking about engineering. You're in an engineering field. And you're on the Emotioneering podcast and we're talking mm. about this social science and the psychology. And that's what it kind of means to myself and the, the listeners and the audience, the people that follow this, is that it is really about how you get fantastic outcomes, how you get that kind of performance, but through those relationships and that communication. So, yeah, totally aligned uh, with our message, with our vision. But but let's let's move a little bit more into sort of your career. I mean, what does the day to day look like, you know, for for in, head of internal comms within F1? in the Mercedes team it's very varied um I think you know one of the things that probably most internal communications people will say is that um you know no two days are always ever the same and that's definitely true um the the internal communications function within our team covers a very wide remit so with my kind of pure communications hat on I'm responsible for things like the content on all of our internal channels the strategy of, of how we communicate um, corporate messaging um, senior leadership communications partnering with managers from across the team to provide that sort of strategic and tactical advice on the most effective use of communication to enhance team performance or build engagement but then in addition to that as I said we, as we mentioned I, I also manage our employee events um, so all of the various team events that take place everything from 
debriefs after race weekends through to the big events like the summer fun day and the um, and the Christmas party. I also look after some of our employee rewards and benefits and then our team's responsible for all of our local community and charity work as well. So every day is different. One day I might be hosting a live Q&A for the team with our race drivers. Then I could be launching an employee wellbeing initiative or showing charity guests around the factory or um, planning a, you know, the fun day or writing articles. So it's, it's very varied. But I think whatever we're doing the key focus is always on the team members and it's about how we're making everybody feel connected um, to each other and to the team's intent and the team's strategic goals and vision and values. Well listening to what you're saying um, you can hear there's a lot of a lot of moving parts there's a lot of things going on there but while I'm watching you on the video and I know those listening to the podcast will be able to see it but I can see the big smile so you absolutely (laughs) love it that way don't you? It is. I mean, I think that's the lovely thing about this place. You know, it, you just never know when you walk through the door in the morning what you're going to be doing by the end of the day. Um, and yeah, and, and it's quite a fun place. You know, you can be sitting in the office and, you know, George Russell will wander in and sort of sit himself down and start chatting about the race weekend. And, you know, so so every so often you pinch yourself. I mean, we had Tom Cruise in our garage um, at the British Grand Prix. So there was a lot of excitement around that. We had... Brad Pitt had a tour of the factory a couple of weeks ago, you know, so there are all sorts of strange things that go on. Um, and so, yeah, it's never boring. Let's put it that way. Definitely not mentioning <laughs> any of my uh, famous crushes there. <laughs> like, oh, gosh. And, and they get better with age, don't they? But anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of George Russell, just, you know, just I do want to give kudos to the team and the way that everything was handled at Silverstone. Um, you know, there was a lot of gasps in our household watching it there's a lot of um you know emotion I was I was in tears uh, I just couldn't believe um what I was watching in terms of the crash but to see George jump out of that car and run straight over like I'm even getting shivers talking about it now because as you know as someone that really empathizes in and sees that type of um heroic action really and that just care it was just an incredible thing to watch how did it feel from from your perspective Nicole? Well, it was a really interesting um, situation because effectively by getting out of the car and running across to see if he could help um, Joe, the driver who'd had the crash, uh, George effectively took himself out of the race. Um, mm-hmm. So it meant that he couldn't start. And so so there was a sort of a moment where everybody was looking to say, what is he doing? He needs to keep going, he needs to get the car started. And then you then he realized what he was doing and and actually kudos to him for doing it you know it was a big decision to make and and it, and it really again i think just kind of spoke to the values of our team that we do care about other people and we care about each other and it's not all about winning it's about you know being there for each other and being part of a of a team and whether that's your own team or whether that's the wider formula 1 community so um, yeah. so yeah we we were we were proud of what he did good no absolutely and yeah and I think and even to hear after I think he thought in that moment he could still go and 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 restart the car and they ended up putting on the ramp and and it just ended but the whole journey from start to finish of that race was just one big emotional roller coaster and and I'm glad to hear that internally and um yeah I'm sure there's lots of other standout moments though internally that we don't get to know about so my next question to you is 
what is one of the biggest standout moments from your comms career in F1 that sort of you, you, I don't know, you just hold really dear to you? I mean, gosh, there have been so many little moments, but I guess thinking about the biggest moment, it would be, and it's not necessarily part of my comms career even, but it's just of my time in motorsport would be the sort of 2009 World Championship when um, as part of Braun GP, we won the World Championship um, in very, very unusual circumstances. Um, and we went, I don't know if, if, if you're not familiar with the story, we went in sort of November 2008 with losing Honda as our major um, partner and, and owner of the team um, and effectively being told to close the team down to scrabbling around throughout the winter desperately trying to find the funds to keep the team going and then going on at the end of so exactly a year later in November 2009 to winning both the drivers and the constructors world championships and it was just the most incredible roller coaster year um, with financial cutbacks and redundancies and you know everything else that went on but we had a good car and we had great drivers and it won races Um, so I think for me when we finally won that championship it was a huge wave of relief that just spread across the entire company and it was such an incredible feeling to see you know Ross our team principal and our drivers Jensen Button and Ravens Barrichello sort of celebrating at the track and we watched it here in the factory as well so all the people who were back in the UK were watching it in the factory and I think I just literally hugged every single member of the team that day um they were it was there were tears there was laughter it was just incredible so yeah as as, as a sort of standout moment in my career I think it was uh, it was probably the the best moment but then I think in terms of kind of my best comms moment I would say each of the eight world championships that we've won uh, with Mercedes has has really been brilliant because it's given me an opportunity to create some incredible memorable events for our team members to share together to celebrate those championships um, and when you talk to team members who've been here on the days where we've we've all got together to celebrate the championships they will always say that was their best day in Formula One so for me to be able to kind of use use my um uh, skills and, and kind of an experience to be able to create other people's best days in Formula One is, is really special for me. Ah, it's so true. And I again, I, I I find it really admirable. Like you, you are a big champion of other people that work in the company. I see it a lot. You comment, you like things, you engage with their posts. When you know when they start out, they start in something new or they're moving into a new career. Um, very interestingly, um, there's a, a large uh, motor company in the UK that was <laughs> we were t- I was talking to somebody about the um the the great resignation and about the challenges within recruitment and um what they told me and obviously I won't mention them by name on this podcast was yes but F1 keep just stealing all our <laughs> engineers <laughs> I was like well if they're gonna pay and then I'm seeing all these people coming in and you're you're like hey welcome to the team and I just think you know you you really do embody that kind of role model um, you you communicate you engage and therefore you're really driving it through um, to, to other people Nicole is is that how you see it for, for yeah I mean I think I think the thing about this this organization and kind of what makes it special in some ways is that that we are a team and and that 
you know, everybody will support each other. Everybody is happy when things go well for other people within the team. We, we're unhappy when things don't go well. Um, and, you know, that really comes across, I think, in all our interactions. You can't walk past somebody in our factory, for example, without smiling and saying hello. Um, and people know each other by name. I mean, there's a thousand of us. They all seem to know me. Um, I always, I sometimes struggle with their names, but it's it's lovely that you know people will stop and say hi, and um, and we celebrate our successes together as well. You know, so one of the lovely things that we've created over the last couple of years is just trying to create this sort of community uh, interaction page within our intranet. So in, anytime somebody's got something to celebrate, whether it's a new baby or their child's graduation ceremony, or, you know, we'll celebrate that with them. Um, and it just re- we've, it has that real sort of family atmosphere about it. Oh, you just talked there about one of the key things in employee engagement, which a lot of companies miss is the celebration of those interactions and those moments that mean something to people's lives, you know? Yeah. And and I think if you have got that type of culture, you're already you're already streets ahead of a lot of other companies um, by, by sharing those internal celebrations and, and or external on an internal basis. Yeah, it's they're really, really super important. I mean, you know, I'm talking about those things, sort of driving engagement, driving leading towards performance, but what does internal comms to you? What does it mean when it's done well? And how does that link to sort of high performance for a competitive edge from your perspective? Yeah, competition is what we're all about. You know, so everything that we do is it, it need, needs to lead to that competition and to be competitive. Um, in terms of what internal comms looks like when it's done well, I think within our organisation and the way that I've always worked is that it's honest, it's open and, and it's transparent and it's truthful. Um, I don't uh, kind of work on the basis that it's, you know, we need to spin things or that we're trying to create stories or cover up problems Um, within our company. It's very much about sharing information in an open and honest way and then trusting people with that information as well. You know, um, if we look at our race debriefs, for example, on a Monday after each race weekend, we'll get the whole team together either in, you know, they'll come, they can come to our race base or they can watch on teams if they're not in the factory. And our chief race engineer will give a really open and honest account of exactly what happened over that re- weekend. Um, you know, it's no holds barred. We're giving the team information that perhaps if it were to leak outside of the company would be useful for our competitors. But we trust people. And I think that's that's the kind of one of the foundation stones of building high performance culture definitely but also just building a culture where people feel a they feel empowered and trusted and then they in reciprocal way can trust others as well and then I think good internal comms are also fun they need to be relevant obviously and engaging um they I don't you know I don't want it to feel like spam because that just gets ignored so it has to be you know fun and interesting bring bring a smile to people's faces where it's appropriate um, and then just bring people in and 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 get them curious and make them want to know more. So, yeah, that's kind of where. And then in terms of, of sort of high performance communications, I think that, you know, we've we've talked. I think I talked when I when we first met about sort of high performance team culture and how internal communications it really underpins everything that we do in that. Yeah. And, and on that. And actually, when we did meet, you, you mentioned there's a mantra 
that you guys have internally. Can you share a little bit on that mantra and, and what that is? So you're talking about the sort of the psychological safety mantra? Oh, oh, that's a couple really of interesting them. to go into. So the one, <laughs> the one I was remembering was, um, but I didn't want to take the words out of your no, mouth because no. it sounds so good coming from yourself. But um, about the owning your tenth of a second. Yeah, so I mean, that's one thing. of our. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the sort of things you'll hear quite a lot around here, um, in, and that that really that comes back to everybody having a clear line of sight between what it is that they do on a day to day basis and the overall goals and strategies and the intent of the organization because I think it's really important that in order for people to feel empowered and feel that they have ownership and responsibility for the outcomes it's important that they actually understand how they they input as well um, and the, the story I always tell which is is, is the is the NASA story of um, Kennedy visiting the uh, the NASA headquarters and seeing one of the janitors um, mopping the floors and saying to him what, what is it that you're doing here and he said well I'm putting a man on the moon Mr President and that's definitely the attitude that we have here you know every single person can tell you how they contribute their tenth of a second of performance to the car um, you know I do it by ensuring that people know what's happening around here at its very basic level so that they've got the information that they need to go and be able to do their jobs the, the the kitchen staff who are uh, feeding our team every day, or will, you know, they'll, they'll say that they're fueling the team that then go on and bring the innovations to the car. Everybody knows what their tenth of a second is and how they produce it. And it's one of the things that we actually, um, so across a race weekend, our chief strategist likes to write an update email at the end of each um, day. So on the Friday, Saturday and Sunday of the race weekend, he'll send an email to the whole team just with a short update as to what's happened at the track that day, what worked, what didn't work, what broke, um, how well we did. Um, and at the end of that, we, we profile one of our team members and we have a couple of people who are factory-based each week and one of the race team. Um, and it'll be a profile about how they got into Formula One and what they do with the team. And one of the things that we always ask them when we're interviewing people for that profile is how does your role directly contribute to the performance of the car on track? And everybody can tell you exactly what it is that they do to improve the car's performance on track. So it, it's it's really important that they have that sense of ownership, I think. Oh, yeah, so true. And aligning that, again, it's just we're talking about one of the best brands, one of the, the best competitive teams in the world like and and if if we can learn those lessons and we can transform them and bring them or you know like you said that's a part of a NASA story but you it's been adapted and adopted um within the, the Mercedes AMG Formula One team and and how you do that that makes it part of the culture you can't be talking about the moon because you're Formula One yeah um so it's it that is that's just absolutely incredible I think it's it's a really key message for anyone out there that that's what culture looks and sounds like it's it's having that DNA that language sort of in internally um you mentioned something about uh, psychological safety and a mantra around that do you want to go into a little bit about that as well uh, yeah can do so I mean one of the things that underpins pretty much everything that we do here is is the sense that we need to be able to call out things that are not right 
so that they can be addressed and fixed. Um, and it, again, sort of very similarly to many of the other sort of high tech industries out there like NASA, um, you know, a small, tiny little element uh, could cause a catastrophic failure. And so if we are building a car where we are putting the life of a Formula One driver at risk and something in that car has not been checked properly or is not quite um, manufactured in accordance to the specification, it could cause a failure, which could cause a crash, which could seriously injure or, heaven forbid, you know, actually end the life of somebody. Um, and so we have to have the sense that anybody who sees anything that is not right or that could be improved needs to be able to call it out and needs to have a sense that it's okay to do that and in fact actually if you don't do it you know there will be repercussions because we really need to know so we have a mantra which is basically see it say it fix it and it's something that's very simple and it's been sort of um implemented kind of you know introduced across the a, a very wide range of activities within our organization um, from the manufacturing side of things where we need to know if something's not quite right in kind of in terms of the way it's been manufactured um, right the way through to the race team at the track assembling the car and running it to um, little uh, health and safety things that you might see slips and trips opportunities around the factory but the idea is that anybody at any point in time can see something say they've seen it and it will be fixed um, and there are no uh, repercussions for anybody um, we need to be able to call out the inconvenient truths as it were and to be able to have that confidence that um, it won't be subject to any kind of challenge or you know it won't be ignored um, and again that that also then sort of facilitates two-way communication because we people will speak up. It facilitates trust because people feel that they've been heard um, and it enables us to minimise the opportunity for failure. So good. See it, say it, fix it. Mm -hmm. And do you know what? I bet that there are some things that get said that you're like, oh, we've opened the box and it's yep. coming in. And But, it, you know, you mentioned a key term earlier about town hall sessions. Mm. And and they're obviously, um, to, to me, I see them as an opportunity for that. See it, say it, fix it, because you're there at the kind of the, the call phase or there at the at the pit going, tell me what is going on, because I need to know regardless of who it doesn't matter. It's, we're not calling blame here. We just need yeah. to know what it is. So is that, you know, what is a town hall session like within um, within the team? We we I mean, we put our senior leaders up front and centre and we put them on the spot. Um, quite frequently and they always answer every question um, so even in situations where we you know we will have people who will ask questions in the room uh, we'll have people who are watching remotely and who will ask questions uh, via the teams chat we'll have people who are you know we use slido sometimes to get little polls and things going so we have people who are typing questions in via that as well um, and there'll be questions coming in from various areas now on most of our town halls, I will facilitate a Q&A at the end um, and I will ask 
questions as they come in and we've got an opportunity for you know questions to be liked um so if they're coming in via the team's chat then um you know the most popular questions will generally get answered first and the most popular questions are invariably the really hard ones you know they're the ones that are slightly um challenging um and you know people sometimes go yeah well that's a really tough question you know why would you put that through but if you don't put it through then people will stop asking so um, and the same in the room, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen when somebody puts their hand up and asks a question. Um, so but we do make sure that even if we run out of time in the town hall, I will then sit down with that relevant um, manager or that, that director and then we'll finish all of the questions in written form and get them up on the intranet. So people have got responses um, to all of the questions that have been asked. And it doesn't matter how hard they are, because in fact, actually, you know, asking the the challenging questions is actually how you get that that two-way dialogue going it might might be thought-provoking where you, you know things that are uncovered that you're not actually prepared for but that you can then take away and think about mm, I'm thinking my brain I'm, I'm I'm hearing what you're saying I'm imagining it there and I'm also linking it back to you know as as a management consultant working in people operations and performance there's so many different times where we'd even a town hall session within one individual team. It doesn't have to necessarily, you know, even within a, a team of 20 or, you know, smaller SMEs, for example. I definitely see that one of the things that comes up that they struggle with is, but what if I don't know the answer to the question? Mm-hmm. And and I, I'm like, well, that's OK. What's not OK is like you said, if you don't answer it or you don't come back with an answer. Well, you know, what advice would you give to to those people or those leaders out there that want to run these types of initiatives that maybe have thoughts like that? I think there's a very simple answer, which is that's a really, really great question. Let me take that away and come back to you with once I've had a chance to, to kind of review it. It's, you know, it's not being afraid to to take something away. Um, and, you know, our technical director will do that, for example, you know, if there's a question that's about a specific part of the car that he's not directly familiar with, he won't try to pretend that he is, even though he's technical director, he'll say, there are people within the team that know far more about this than I do. And I'm going to get that question to them and we'll come back to you. You know, it's admitting that you you may not know everything and actually allowing people to be experts in their own areas as well. And what about the teams where they want them to ask stuff, but maybe they don't yet? <laughs> and yes. they're just starting it and everyone's a bit like, ooh, I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. And that's where I think it it really helps to be able to show that vulnerability. Um, I think if a leader says, I don't know the answer to this, or a leader is able to say, I made a I made, you know, I messed up here, or something didn't go well and it, the buck stops with me. Allowing those leaders to be vulnerable in that way enables people to feel more confident to speak up around them because they are only human. Um, and also making sure there's no, there's never any blame. Um, and I think blame is a really big one that, you know, within our organisation, if something goes wrong, um, we're never pointing fingers and saying, well, yeah, but you didn't do that correctly or that that wasn't put together properly. Um, we, we look for the cause of the of the issue rather than blaming the person. Um, and I think all of these sort of start to build a sense of 
it's okay to be human it's okay to make mistakes it's okay to stick your neck out and you won't get you know you won't get it chopped off um it's okay to ask difficult questions because actually that's how we grow and learn and it's all these sort of it's a combination of all of these subtle messages throughout the company which will then create that sense that actually yeah it's okay um, and you can speak up and if people are very introverted and really don't want to put their heads up then giving them an alternative means of doing that you know one of the things that we quite often do is when we send out the information about you know inviting people to town halls we'll put a little line in there that says if you've got a question you'd like to submit in advance please send it here and they can send an email with their questions if they don't if they don't want it to come through you know well, so and so has, has asked this question um it can be it, it can be asked anonymously if they're really nervous about it but generally we tend to find that people will feel quite um comfortable to to speak up yeah it's interesting that you say that to ask in advance as well because mm-hmm. also that helps that leader feel a bit more prepared that they're not just going to get fired at on the day yeah. and be like oh what's what's coming in and yeah. so that kind of helps to sort of um to alleviate that and and it sounds very encouraging in terms of what you do within the team obviously you and I have read Amy Edmondson's book I know I heard you mention that yes uh, yeah. the fearless organization yeah. had, it had had a lot of the things that you're talking about taking place kind of before that book and then you read it and you were like aha I believe all of these things or did did you take some of things from that and then start to implement um across um, I think we actually before we before sort of Amy Edmondson's book came out we were working with a really incredible um chap called Kerry Evans okay um Ker- Kerry is a uh, clinical psychologist and he for many many years was the team psychologist for the All Blacks uh, rugby football team and so I think Kerry bought a lot of the um, psychological safety or understanding around how to work with psychological safety to our organization before I think we saw it articulated in Amy's book I have to say personally I picked up on her work when I was doing my master's degree um, because I was very interested in employee voice um, and how we could improve voice within the organization and create that sort of two-way feedback and I think psychological safety and voice sit very very closely together you can't have voice without that sense of safety so it was something that I definitely picked up on then Um, but Kerry was the person who brought in the see it say it fix it for us and that was very much part of his his work Ah, you never know. I might get him on the podcast one day. I'll have him <laughs> down. I'll definitely check him out. And I love the All Blacks. I, I talk about them in my book. I, you know, the whole coordination around team. Like, I absolutely love that too. Yeah. Interesting that we talk about psychological safety and, and the importance of those things. So I, I also became a counsellor for that reason. I, I found it as a leader. I was finding it, where's the line? And I was feeling uncomfortable about the mental health, about someone's mindset, about emotions that were being expressed or, or you know, not necessarily conflict because I, I felt quite um maybe uh, diplomatic in, in terms mm. when those things happen or I can be a little bit more paused but when someone maybe is having a little bit more of a crisis moment or is is highly emotional in a highly emotional state or a very low um, emotional state I, f- I wanted to be able to understand more about it so that I I didn't fear it and and the reason I'm saying that is that one of the things that has come out over um, the last year and has been when I've been going to events when I've been um listening to you know uh, town halls listening to roundtables is that 
some HR or leadership teams worry about where the line is in terms of what people say or what they bring uh, to the conversation. Whereas I seem to, I, I sort of um, lean a little bit more into the whole psychological safety of, well, if you've got a town hall, nothing's nothing's off the table. If it's in a one-to-one, they should be able to talk to me. Even if I'm not the person that can fix it, I can support them to someone else. I mean, where do you, where, what, not that this wasn't necessarily planned as part of the conversation. No. Um, so, you know, it's I don't know what your thoughts are on that. What do you think? I think the thing about being part of an organisation is that you have to have create those human connections. Um, and I think, you know, human beings have this instinctive desire to connect with others. And this is something that, you know, as, as social animals is, is sort of part of our evolution. Um, and when we feel safe um, in, in our setting and safe with the people around us, we're able to flourish. Um, and I think it doesn't matter what part of the organization, you know, what, and what your seniority level is within that organization, you still need to have that sense of being able to feel safe, whether you're the CEO or whether you're the in, intern. Um, and so I think that's where, you know, actually trying to en- enhance that and trying to bring that sense of, um, of, of being welcomed, of being accepted, of being challenged, but not criticised um, is is really important, and um, and I think that's what you know as human beings. I think that's what makes us feel happy in our day to day lives. If if we've got that sense of being of belonging, of being part of something that is supportive. And how much of that do you think is down to you know the word that we mentioned at the beginning, the intentions of a leader then, and and the way that they communicate. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's important to know where you're going within a company. It's important to know what you stand for, what you're there for. Um, and because that's that's your roadmap, that's your signpost. And that's where I think an intent is important. And that's something that we've had over the last few years um, is a very clear intent at the start of every season that says this is what we are setting out to do this year. And then it gives you the opportunity to plan everything that you're doing this year by relating it back to that intent um, so it, it keeps people on the, the same path it keeps them moving together um, and also gives you the opportunity to think well okay so I've got five different projects here which one am I going to prioritize well okay which one is going to help me fulfill that intent in the most effective way that's the one I'll prioritize um, and so I think having that intent will help to guide people it helps to keep everybody kind of together um, moving forward in the same direction um, and and it helps to cascade the 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 um, the vision that the leadership have created um, to everybody across the entire organization in terms of the social responsibility side you know we're talking about the way that that we approach things we're talking about the intentions and it sort of made me think about the social responsibility that I see time and time again coming out of the Mercedes AMG team and, you know, you, the the way that, you know, sustainable aviation fuel is being talked about. And the fact that is that I was like, wow, this is amazing. And, and you know, hearing what Total Wolf had to say about that, but also what I love 
is this whole thing around initiative with the STEMettes that you've created and your passion about young women in the engineering space. And for those that don't know what STEM is um, and that are listening to this <laughs> and have now found out about it, it is science, tech, engineering and mathematics. And my just to set the scene, my dad um, bless his heart. He, he passed away in 2015. But we used to watch Formula One every Sunday. That was what we did when we were together. Um, he was an engineer. My dad was an engineer. Um, he's a tool maker by trade, but you know, engineering mindset. So always kind of set me on this path about, so what are you going to do about it then? How are you going to figure it out? And all he would ever say was, you'll figure it out. So he kind of led me, all right, I'm not maybe in the more, um, you know, technical space as, as he was and, and many are, or the manufacturing side of it, or, you know, the, the kind of performance. But in terms of the human psychology and that social science, um, I very much am. And, and obviously why I love doing conversations like this and, and, and everything that I'm, you know, hoping to achieve on the mission. But tell us about, so that's why I get so excited about these things, <laughs> the backstory about it. Um, but when I see you really promoting that, I'm like, oh, it takes me back to me being a, a youngster. And actually, it didn't feel like that was something that we could go into. Yeah. Um, so yeah. so tell us more about your passion around that and what you're doing with the STEMettes and what it's all about. Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's it's something that I've always been championing throughout my career. I think for many, many years, the sort of first, almost first 20 years of my career in motorsport, I've been a significant, in a significant minority and quite often as the only woman in the room. Sometimes I've, you know, I've been in technical meetings where I was the only woman in a room of 40 men. Um, and, and for most of my career, most women have worked in the support functions in Formula One. So, you know, finance, HR, marketing. We had a great cohort of women working in those areas and they were brilliant. But I sort of used to look around and think, well, there aren't very many female engineers here. Um, and I, it's something I never really understood because I always think that women should be equally as good at, as men at maths and science and technology and engineering. And um, so I could never quite get my head around why we didn't have as many female engineers. But I think, as you say, the problem when I was definitely growing up was, I think, partly the school curriculum. Um, girls weren't really necessarily encouraged to take technical subjects so things like technical drawing or engineering or metal work seemed to be very much more male orientated um, and we ended up doing needlework or cookery both of which I'm rubbish at by the way so <laughs> um, so that, you know that was no good um, and but then I think also quite a lot of the time it wasn't seen by the girls to be cool to be like the boys you know you wanted to kind of there was sort of this peer pressure of what was what was what girls should be doing and it almost came from the girls themselves um, and I think now even now one of my biggest regrets in school is that I didn't pay more attention to in physics because I absolutely love anything to do with space and um, and you know NASA is, is one of my kind of biggest fascinations and I wish I just understood it better but I don't because I don't really understand physics so for a number of years I think it's sort of led me to work on trying to raise awareness of Formula One as a career option for women and trying to encourage more women to consider a future in STEM subjects and STEM careers and that's definitely involved us 
getting into some of the initiatives that we have now. So our sponsorship of International Women in Engineering Day, which is 23rd of June each year, we have loads of activities running around that. Um, and then various events which we've run in collaboration with the FIA or with Motorsport UK. So we recently did one with um, some local school girls for uh, with with a com- with an organisation called um, Girls on Track. And then we also have our Accelerate 25 initiative, which is very much focused on uh, trying to ensure that by 2025, at least 25% of our new starters come from uh, an underrepresented background, whether that's gender or ethnic background. Um, And it's just really trying to bring people in who wouldn't ordinarily consider motorsport as an option for the future, for a future career, because it is a it's an exciting and I think very rewarding industry to work in. Yes, it absolutely is. Love that mission by 25 percent by 2025 um, or 25 by 25. That's yeah, that's 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 really, really cool. Are you on the way? I mean, it's only a couple of years do you think it's it's not it? long yeah no we're doing really well we're doing really Good. well and it's brilliant to see the change just even in the last couple of years um you know there's so many more women sitting in the design office there's so many more women down in the manufacturing areas we're starting to see people coming from all sorts of ethnic and social backgrounds um that wouldn't necessarily have been interested in formula yeah. one and i you know i think partly i put that down to the netflix effect because the netflix uh, documentary has really Formula One uh, on the radar for people and made it quite exciting so if anybody's seen Drive to Survive you know it's interesting you should watch it Um, it gives you a little bit of insight as to kind of what it's like in Formula One but it has opened it up and I think it has started to kind of draw people in who wouldn't perhaps otherwise have been considering it so that's it's really exciting. It's so true. I, you've, you've made, I'm going to tell a little bit of an embarrassing story, but you've made me think about when I was like, I think I was about six or maybe seven. And um, <laughs> when you say about it's not considered, it wasn't considered for the girls to do things that the boys and, they, and think it was cool. I also think that the boys didn't maybe see that the girls um, doing anything that they did was cool because I remember this one story and there's this guy called John. And I, I don't know where John is now, but I remember, remember it vividly, right? And we all used to go in with our lunch boxes and every year you'd pick a new lunch box and you'd go into school. Well, on my lunch box was Ghostbusters. <laughs> Oh yeah, the girls had like Barbie, My Little Pony, you know, all this kind of stuff. And mine yeah. was Ghostbusters, right? <laughs> it was this, it was this blue Ghostbusters lunchbox. And literally, I remember on the first day back to school, this boy John was there, and I was there, and I went, "John, we've got the same lunchbox." <laughs> and his face, he was mortified. Was mortified. <laughs> <laughs> he went, and it's funny what you remember when you look back. But it, you know, nowadays it would be like, "Oh, wicked!" You know, it would be mm. a very di- different culture. So I'm, I, I'm glad you give me an opportunity to share that, but also to to dig in a lot more to the absolutely important topic of obviously diversifying our workspaces and really encouraging other people to get involved so I absolutely love that I mean we talked about sort of leadership initiatives um that you know you you shared about the town hall about the debriefings and 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 some of those things is there any other sort of really standout leadership things that you think that Mercedes AMG you know does like really well or something that you haven't seen before that you would like to share I mean I think in terms of one of one of the lovely things about the way that we've worked with our leadership here is that they, they they're quite 
open to suggestion. <laughs> so sometimes I'll go to them with a slightly off the wall idea. But one of the things that we've tried to do, and this is kind of, again, fits sort of very closely with the, the whole topic of psychological safety, is, is just not to fear failure. And, and failure is something that I think in a lot of organisations is a bit stigmatised. Um, and, and you don't want to be seen to be not doing a great job. So sometimes failure gets swept under the rug a little bit and people don't always um, own up if things aren't going quite as well. And, you know, that then leads to fabulous failures such as the banking crisis because, you know, nobody wanted to mention that it was a bubble that was about to burst or, um, you know, really catastrophic failures in aerospace and things like that um, that, that are kind of coming out of, of, of these situations. So within our organisation, I think it's really been important to build this sort of narrative of, of the growth mindset and cre- create this no blame culture and, our, and just empower people to admit when they don't know something or when they make a mistake. And I think that was really helped by um, a comment that our our late chairman, Nicky Lauder, so the Formula One world champion driver, um, he was used to say that the days that we fail are the days that our competitors live to regret. Um, and that's true because we learn from those days. You know, we don't come back from a race that we've won and go, mm, why did we win that race? Uh, we'll come back from a race that we've lost and, and then we will really dig into it and understand why we lost. Um, and so a couple of years ago, we created a series of interviews with our senior leaders and I went to them and basically pitched this idea of of asking them to describe their most painful or embarrassing failure um, and then explain what they'd learned from it and actually it turned out to be a really valuable exercise because it just opened up that conversation across the whole company on failure if they could see that the team principal had failed and the technical director had failed and the chief finance officer had failed everybody had the opportunity to say oh yeah they're human we could do you know we can tell them things when we when we have that situation um and that just transforms those sort of errors and those mistakes into kind of opportunities to learn and improve so so I definitely say as a sort of leadership initiative not being afraid of failure and actually talking about failure openly and and as a growth and learning mindset opportunity is a really is a really valuable thing to do oh just absolute gold to share with us and that Nikki Lauder quote I I just blows me away because how true is that right you do the work you want to know what's going to what's going to get us that other tenth of a second as you were talking about what's going to actually move us forward and you know considering the current season and how close it is and and what the things that have been happening the challenges that that you guys as a team have faced that haven't been faced before you know the cars Mm. didn't used to be the way that they are now you know there's lots of change that has happened and to see how things are evolving every race that is going on right now I can feel that behind the team without even knowing those those things but then to hear them it's like ah this is part of the culture this is part of of what is you know really driving you I feel like it's you were it was top dog it's a bit of underdog it's coming back like there's just so much (laughs) so much excitement that is going on at the moment you know how would you if you if you had to just describe the culture in a couple of words what would you say? Um, we're driven by each other is our motto, which I really think it, I love that in terms of the way that it describes our culture. Um, you know, we, we're, a, we're first and foremost, we're a sports team, but we're a sports team that is made up of instead of like, a, you know, football teams made up of 11 people or whatever it is. You know, we've got a thousand 
very highly competitive and talented team members. And each one is part of driving this organization forward. So, you know, we support each other, but we also operate in a very uncertain and highly competitive industry. And we we know we're only as good as our last race. So it's important, I think, that, you know, our culture places people at the center of our organization. And it, and like any sports team, our leadership try to understand who those people are, what they think, how they perform best, you know, what equipment they need to perform and how they what what position they play best in, um, you know, so that so that we can actually have the right people in the right places doing the right things for us to be able to move forward. Um, so that's really, I think, what sort of it's that sports team culture, which really sort of underpins everything that we do. OK, that are oh, just brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. If you could predict. Right. I don't know. Get your crystal. I'm going to give you a few things now, Nicole, right in the interview. Okay. One okay. of them is a crystal ball. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> so right like now you get your crystal ball. Can if I get you- the lo- lottery numbers on it as well? <laughs> yeah. When you do, just send them to me. Um, <laughs> inside the crystal ball of f1 like if you could see into the future of five years what do you think is in there what do you think is in your crystal ball Uh, it will it will change rapidly um because everything changes rapidly around (laughs) here nothing stays the same for about five minutes and then it's changed again even designs on the car um i mean we literally within we, we make a design change to the car every 20 minutes. So you can imagine in five years time, it's all going to be completely different. Um, so that's what I would say is, is nothing will stay the same and it will all have changed. But I guess my hope, um, if I'm looking forward five years in Formula One, I hope that Formula One will have adapted to the changes that are taking place in the world around us. Um, so there will be a move towards greater sustainability less reliance on fossil fuels for all of our activities um i know you mentioned earlier within our team we're moving towards sustainable aviation fuel and plans are underway to kind of try and reduce reduce the environmental impact of our operation um but i'd I'd like to see that continue and and for us to be truly sustainable moving forward um and then i think also i'd like to see that accelerate 25 get to 25 and beyond um i'd like to see f1 teams being made up of a more diverse population of people um and and you know more diversity at senior levels as well more diversity at board levels within uh formula one teams you know a female team principal we've we've only had one within the history of the sport, suppose one and a half within the history of the sport so it'd be good to see a bit more diversity at that senior level within f1 as well and who knows maybe a, a female formula one driver one day as well that would be good that well, it would be absolutely <laughs> incredible the uh, love that and your predictions although i've coupled it up with your love of space and you <laughs> saying about the future and you know change do you think we'll ever get a formula one race on mars <laughs> if if you could um get to mars i'm sure formula one would get there as well we love a we love a challenge (laughs) (laughs) it's an incredible thought though isn't it um gosh would you oh let me ask you that would you go into space if you could go tomorrow absolutely definitely gosh yeah just get me on a plane i was really really lucky a couple of weeks ago 
we had a, a visit here uh, in the factory by a, lady, by a lady called Holly Ridings, who is the chief flight director at NASA. Um, and she is the lady who sits in the uh, control center in, in Johnson Control Center. And she has the final sort of no go, no, go, no go say on whether um, spacecraft can dock with the International Space Station or not and I just was blown away by how cool her job was so yeah I would definitely be there if she would let me I'd be there (laughs) (laughs) I'll go to the space station do your internal comms from there imagine that and it's in a town hall session we're just gonna (laughs) beam Nicole in from from space teams live yeah (laughs) She's gone looking for new territory for us. Um, <laughs> okay. And if you had a magic wand, okay, um, but it's not just the F1 world now. This is business. If you had a yeah. magic wand to change anything in the business world, what would you pick? Yeah. So, I mean, I think as a working mother um, and as somebody who's brought up a, a child in a very, very busy world of, you know, working whenever you possibly can, Um I, I think it would be around maternity and paternity policies. And I, I'd really like to see more fathers take their full paternity leave allowance. Um, you know, I think the latest sort of data I was looking at the other day suggests that I think only about 4% of fathers actually take up their full parental leave. Oh, wow. um, and there is real data out there that shows that the longer fathers stay at home and the more caring responsibilities they take on, it helps to then reduce pay gap between women and men in the workplace. Um, and it, it just gives women more of an opportunity to continue to build their careers as well as having that family as, at home as well. Um, I read a study a couple of weeks ago which talked about that the fact that women's incomes or mother's incomes rose about 7% for each month that a father spent at home on paternity leave. Um, And and we talk about the pay gap. We talk about the opportunity for women to, you know, why why women don't get paid as much as men and it drops off after a certain age. Um, And I think that's something that if I could wave a magic wand, I'd like to see fathers being given the opportunity and feeling like, they can actually take more paternity leave and spend more time at home with their children. I love that. So you've and you've given us a really holistic, very balanced view today, to be fair, Nicole. And this just again, this gives insights into you and your character and and who you are. Whilst you're championing for more women to be in there, you're also noticing that there's an opportunity to to get even more balance. But also you're working in an industry that is dominated by men and you're saying actually they need to they need to go and take this paternity leave and and actually be supportive of the family of of, of the whole the whole situation uh, just a very holistic uh, perspective on that so thank you very much for for sharing your insights and for your Pleasure. predictions um <laughs> so what so what I'm going to do now I am going to move so I obviously was telling you before we jumped onto the mic that I had an opportunity today with it being F1 with the audience <laughs> being very excited that I was going to be you know find out some insights um that I opened up the floor to some questions and we had some very bizarre ones that I had to bat off um but <laughs> I hope it's had... nothing too technical because I'm not an engineer <laughs> <laughs> no we'll just we'll just make it up right no yeah, yeah. um okay. yeah no 
So no, there were, but there were. I did say that I was only going to ask one, um, sure. but there were actually some. There were three really good ones that were very um, centered around this topic, but then one that was very centered around the sport and about the competitive side. So um, I'm gonna gonna read them out. So the first one is um, from Matthew, and this is it. Um, what's it like managing team egos in a sport as successful as F1? Because you you know when you talk about that competitive side, there's also that ego to balance too, right? What can you tell us about that? We are so fortunate in that respect, I think. Um, I don't think I've ever, in, the, in my 20, nearly 25 years of working with this team, I don't think I've ever come across an ego. Or maybe once, but it was somebody who didn't, wasn't here for very long. Um, I don't think, funnily enough, the people who are high profile and that you see on TV day in, day out, generally tend to be the people who really don't have an ego and um and you know I can tell you that most of the yeah all the drivers that I've worked with have actually been really kind caring gentle people who are you know massively interested in others and very very disinterested in themselves um, which I think is fantastic so yeah so I have to say I've been fortunate I think I'm sure there are Egos within the sport. I've just not had the opportunity to work with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've been in the better teams, <laughs> um, you know, because you do, you do hear. I mean, obviously, emotion comes out when you're listening to the comms and what's going on in the day, and you're hearing certain things from certain cars. You think, "Ooh, that was a bit prickly," or yeah. "That was a bit spicy." Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the, but like you said, that's not what. You, and, and to be fair. It also isn't what is portrayed um, from the team that you are within. And we definitely I don't see that. Um, so it's interesting. And also we talked about that safe space and, and people yeah. being able to. And, and also the mantra that you have about driven by everyone. Yeah. Is that what Dri- it is? Driven yeah? by each other. Yeah. Driven absolutely. by each other. So and that's, I that's think that's where, the, you know, one of the important things, one of our one of our core values is passion. And I think what you see when you see the when you hear the radio transmission, so, you know, you hear one of the drivers in the car talking to the engineer. And, you, and as you said, you, you think mm, that's a bit spicy. What you're actually hearing is the passion. You're hearing the passion for the battle, the passion that's happening in the heat at the moment. Um, what you don't see is that when the driver gets out of the car, he'll give the engineer a big pat on the back. They'll go down and sit in the engineering office and they'll have a conversation about exactly what happened during that race. And absolutely all of that is dissipated. Um, And it's very professional environment and everybody works together. So, um, you know, Toto is, is, is famous for, you know, hammering his fist on the, on the table when things don't look as though they're going very well. Again, that's his that's his outlet for his passion he wants the team to succeed he wants the team to be the best it can be um mm. he will then walk to the back of the garage and he'll shake someone's hand and wander back into the uh, motorhome and and have a conversation and it's 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 gone you know it's dissipated so <laughs> yeah it doesn't it's hang expressed on and, yes, yeah and absolutely yeah. and there's a gif by the way of Toto I don't know if you've seen it yeah, on yeah. Instagram <laughs> there's <laughs> lots of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um next question from Danielle Danielle wants to know how and we've talked about it today so really appropriate uh, how often do you have town hall sessions 
Um, so we do quarterly all team briefings or company briefings, as we call them. And that those are led by Toto Wolf, um, by Rob Thomas, our operations director, and by Mike Elliott, our technical director. Um, so they, those take place quarterly. Okay. Um, and then every Monday after each race weekend, we do a town hall, which is a race debrief. Um, and again, that's an opportunity to get the whole team together. And that's usually led by either Mike Elliott, um, our technical director, or our chief trackside um, engineer, um, or director of trackside engineering, um, Andrew Shovlin, um, Shove, as we call him. Um, and so uh, that happens regularly throughout the season, every every um, after every race weekend. Okay. Fantastic. I'm sure Danielle will be writing that down. She'll be taking it back um, to, to whatever she's doing and what company she's working for. And then the last one comes from Steve and he says, will the team get Hamilton and his car to prime performance again, the comeback journey? Absolutely. Yes. Yes, I definitely am firmly believing that um, that we will get back there. And And everybody here does firmly believe that. We had a um, a little message that uh, Lewis sent the team last Saturday just before our summer fun day. And he, and in that message, he just said, we will win a race this season. It will happen. Um, so, yeah, everybody will. And everybody's working incredibly hard to make it happen as well. We know how to win. What we don't know is um, how to optimise the car that we've currently got. And that's what everybody's working really hard to try and understand. And it's it's a slow journey, but we're getting there. And each race we go to, we're slightly faster than the race before and the car handles slightly better than it did at the race before. So the drivers are becoming more comfortable in the car as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see the difference as well, the gaps getting smaller, you know, and we talk, we are talking tenths of a second, but it matters because it's the sport. Um, absolutely. So just, yeah, still just so far ahead of the game and, and just an incredible team to watch. And I also can't wait for that moment when you get to the top again and I'll be like, woohoo, screaming in the background. Um, millions of miles away. <laughs> yeah, we'll all be screaming <laughs> in the background as well. <laughs> We're all be screaming. Um, brilliant. And I do have one little personal question from me. And I know I've asked you loads of questions but one that I, I'm just curious about why is it that when they're asking the cars to go to the pit instead of saying pit or pit stop why do they say box box it's, it's just radio communication sometimes the radios can be pretty bad and it can be quite hard to hear um, and a word like box 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 actually is, is quite stands out it's quite it's quite easy to pick up mm. um, whereas pit could be misconstrued as other things so I think it just <laughs> comes down to we have like a 72 page document on radio communications and the words that you use and all this sort of thing so it's all very scientifically worked out um wow. but yeah just it's just something that the drivers are, are kind of tr trained and used to hearing and they pick it up much more quickly fantastic I'm, I'm a call center background originally so the phonetic alphabet and everything is all <laughs> <Yes>. very <laughs> very up there but I but in terms of obviously because it's very specific um I just wanted to see if it was because of that or some old story or something you mm. know related to something else but brilliant thank you so much for your insight Nicole Byrne it has been absolutely incredible to interview you today how can people get in touch with you what initiatives would you really like to drive or where would you like them to go if they want to get more involved in anything um, I would say uh, I, you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, so uh, do do connect. I'm very happy to connect there. And um, people have sent me, you know, kind of questions there as well. And I always try and answer if I can. Um, I would say if you are a young person, especially a female young person who's interested in motorsport, uh, do have a look at um, things like Girls on Track. 
gives you an opportunity to sort of understand um, a little bit more about what happens with motorsport for young girls. And um, there are so many great websites that support things around motorsport careers. Um, so Formula Formula Careers is a, is a great website that just explains all the various different careers available in in, in Formula One um, and shares all the job opportunities and things as well so quite a lot of the time people contact me on LinkedIn and say how do I get to work in Formula One so places like that are really good uh, good uh, websites good resources to start with. Fantastic Nicole thank you so much all the best that when this comes out they will have done the France uh, Grand Prix um, and you will have gone through that but just all the best yes. with it. And, uh, and the rest of the season. And just thanks again. Just so many insights and people can learn so much from this. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure, Melissa. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for listening to the Emotioneering podcast with me, Melissa Curran, today. It's been great. Remember to subscribe to Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or all three. You can also come to the website, modernmindgroup.com, where you can subscribe there, stay in contact, and let us know what you really think. Give us the feedback. This is going to get better by knowing what you think. Uh, has this given you food for thought? Has it helped you change something? What has it inspired? Let us know because that's why we're doing it. It's all about the people, people, people. <laughs> Have a great day and ciao for now.